welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts, the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. My name is Phoebe. We're doing a Posters of History. This is a Posters of History episode. Uh, this this is a type of series where we look back on historical figures uh, to look at them within the context of their own posting capabilities. I don't know how to describe it, really. <laughs> it's not quite are they posters or are they not. Joining us this week to talk about this poster of history, are Dr. Eleanor Yanaga. Eleanor, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. I'm really excited to talk about Thomas More, actually. who He's a noted poster. Yes. He is. Uh, he is. Yeah. Just in case, just in case you missed that, we are going to be talking about Thomas Sir Thomas More, More today, <laughs> which sort of started as a little bit of a running joke because I'm always bringing him up, and then it was a bit like maybe we should just do an episode about about Thomas More. That's mm-hmm. we can't, we can't, we can't, we we can't avoid it. And I think that I think that what we're trying to do with this series is we're trying to look at the posting impulse as being a kind of an engine of if not necessarily history, even though the people that we discuss are quite important historical figures, but an engine of historical communication and an engine of documentation. And we're trying to demonstrate that the posting impulse is is one that has been like kind of heightened and magnified Mm. by the nature of Mm. online and the nature of digital communication and the nature of a kind of a networked world but that it Mm. exists and it has it's existed for centuries if not millennia and we're trying to pick out the various guys who had this impulse and talk about them Mm. yeah i am when i was doing my history degree i there was like i did one week where thomas more sort of came up and uh digging through some of the notes i had from a very long time ago i knew of thomas more as a lawyer um, a philosopher, also uh, the author of Utopia, was published in 1516. Um, I read segments of that when I was an undergraduate. It describes like um, it describes like sort of a fantasy political system, uh, which is sort of part satire, part memoir. Also, just like these di- kind of referencing the sort of conversations Thomas More has, um, and then obviously like Thomas More, you know, people know him as sort of you know his kind of the tumultuous relationship with Henry VIII. Um, and, uh, most recently, I didn't actually know this until I just looked this up. Uh, Pope John Paul II declared him the patron saint of statesmen and politicians. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Eleanor, uh, as someone who knows the real Thomas More, can you describe, uh, like give us like a kind of very brief overview, uh, or like not even brief at all, like whatever type of overview of you want of a, who was the real sicko? Like was Thomas More like a real sicko? And if so, he's, how? A, he's a real fucking sicko, uh, this guy, <laughs> uh, like I, it's just the Catholic Church is a an amazing machine for creating weird sickos, and we got we have to say that, right? And I know that I'm I'm constantly always saying, mm, you know, people go a little far about the Catholic Church, but when I say that, they're usually going a little too far about the medieval Catholic Church. You want to talk shit about like the early modern Catholic Church? Come through because it's full of guys like this and uh, them kind of justifying it. But anyway, like you're right, you know, broad strokes. You're saying. Uh, our, our man, Thomas More, a uh, noted Londoner, uh, and he's a lawyer, right? He's a lawyer guy, um, but it's the 16th century. And so now he thinks he's fancy um, and he gets really kind of uh, swept up in the humanist mm. movement. Um, so he spends some time in seminary and things like that, but then gets horny and gets married instead. So it's a political life for him, mm. um, as opposed to a life in the church, which is, of course, also political in other ways. Um and he is a mad prominent guy. So he ends up being the high chancellor of England under Henry VIII for about three years or so. Um, and the thing is, 
he was a poster. Like he is, he cannot shut up. You know, Utopia is like, um, you know, when posters are given like a gimmick book where they like print out like their best of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, kind (laughs) of deal. Like that's what Utopia is. Um, it's like him, they're like, yeah, go off King or whatever. And, um, he basically just spent all his time frothing at the mouth about how he hated Protestants. Um, so he hates Martin Luther. He hates, uh, Tyndale a lot. Um, and he is really opposed to Zwingli, uh, which, you know, there's a lot of that about. Um, and this is cute. This is like really cute until Henry VIII. Uh, gets a boner for Anne Boleyn, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so, because Henry VIII is like, yes, get him, dog. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> absolutely. Fuck Protestants, right? Until he needs to find a way to get divorced, um, in which case there is suddenly a big about face because uh, Thomas More is a wife guy. And <laughs> he's like, you cannot, in fact, put Catherine of Aragon aside. And I refuse to acknowledge that your marriage has been annulled. Further, I cannot acknowledge you as the Supreme Head of State. Uh, he eventually ends up getting killed because he refuses to take the um, Oath of Supremacy, which is basically every rich person they know, or like member of the church, they knock on your door and be like, do you acknowledge Henry VIII as King of State? Um, and he's like, no, I won't do that. Um, and then he gets executed. And so this ends up getting him canonized mm. in the 20th century. Uh, so it was a Pius XI pulled this one on us. And <laughs> JP2 is the one who's like, and how about this? But in between there, what this also kind of obscures is the fact that, uh, as Obama would say, uh, he tortured some folks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, it, it, it would be all like, oh, wow, that's horrible. It really sucks that Henry VIII, like noted asshole Henry VIII, right? Um killed a lot of people for stupid reasons just because he wanted to get his dick wet. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of like, ah, oh, that's a freebie uh, just because of all the torture that he did. It's not just posting, right? So, like, this is a guy who absolutely posted himself to death. Mm. Um, and he's one of the first ones to ever do it, you know. Uh, but it's not just that. It's that he also did, like, many atrocities um, in there which is what makes him so intriguing, I think, because it, it's he's not afraid to put his money where his mouth is. He will torture you if you don't agree to these things. And it's quite gross. So, yeah. Um, it's also confusing because, like, every single guy in Henry VIII's court is called Thomas mm. Um, mm. at this point in time. So it gets really confusing. It's, but, yeah. like, it's like being part of the English left in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> There are just just so many fucking Thomases. What are you meant to do? Yeah, it's just I don't know, man. Like it's it, he is. You just have to say Thomas More, just like you always have to be like, oh yeah, uh, Thomas Smith. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you know, no one's <laughs> name is just Thomas. You have to automatically say the last name. My favorite is when you have a bunch of Thomases that have the same first and last name, oh, and then you got to work out who the fuck you're talking about. Oh no! And you're like looking at these like Thomas Howards, and you're like, nope, sorry, I'm. T- t- tell me which one. Give him a cute <laughs> nickname. Do something Roman with them. Do something. Do oh, something yeah. to tell me which fucker this guy is. Word. Um, Absolutely word. Actually, a really good way of doing that is if he's doing something f- more fucked up than you can possibly imagine, that is Thomas Howard, Duke of Norfolk. If it's a bit like, ha, ah, this sounds pretty of his time, then that's like another Thomas Howard. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. I suppose that's true. 
So that's a little little hist- little history. Too many tip. Thomases. <laughs> a little, yeah. little history tip for you there. <laughs> what I what I always um find so interesting and enjoyable about the the last days of of Sir Thomas More is that it's never that he refuses to acknowledge Henry as the as the head of the church. It's just that he won't say that he is. So he responds with this mm. kind of with this like eloquent silence, but refusing to say something which is more communicative than actually saying it is, I think, a kind of has a kind of poster's essence to mm. it. Because you always know what someone, particularly someone who can't keep their mouth shut, and this is something that was said about Thomas More both at the time and later on, which is that he never wrote anything down that he didn't want a bunch of other people to read. Yeah. He wrote for performance. He wrote for distribution. He wrote for he wrote for the he wrote for the public. So even his private personal letters, he's writing thinking, yeah. yeah this is gonna fucking go <laughs> off. <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna this is gonna pop off. He's not he's not like he's not like a kind of he's not an anarchic poster. He's a kind of calculated poster. He's like, I want all of my posts to get collected into a book poster. He has a, he has a, he has a posting strategy. He's not just like firing <laughs> stuff mm-hmm. off while he's, while he's like in the bathroom or whatever. So the thing is, is that with the, with the, with the historical poster and with the contemporary poster, if it's somebody who they can't keep their mouth shut about anything, do they know about it? No, it doesn't matter. Do they have an interesting view about it? Do they have a view which which could, could probably take a little bit of thinking and percolating? Probably. No, you're going to know what this fucker thinks about every single subject going. Mm. So mm-hmm. you know that if something occurs and they are mysteriously silent, you know how communicative that is. And you know it's because they have some deeply unpopular opinion about it. And this is what, and this is what eventually did, does for Thomas More. It's not that he says, "I don't, I don't recognise your marriage." It's not that he says, "I don't recognise your divorce." It's not that he says, "I don't recognise you as the head of the church." He just goes, nope. <laughs> "No." And I love um, it though. Like yeah, that, that's petty, like a petty queen. Yeah. That, you know? is, that is that is that is pe- that is petty behaviour, and. Because I think a lot of people make the error around, particularly around the divorce, is that, and I see this quite a lot, and as a, as a stickler, shall we say, for certain, uh, for certain things, and as a noted fan of this period of history, mm. nothing fucks me off more than people say, oh yeah, Henry, Henry VIII founded a church in order, to, in order to get a divorce. No, 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 no. No, that's simply that's simply. I mean, not- that was just a perk. That was a it huge was a perk. perk. For like, first of all, that was just like that was like a side. That was a side issue. But se- but secondly, I think people have formed the idea that there was no such thing as divorce in in mm. kind of late medieval Europe. But there, but but there was there was there was there was there was precedent, mm. and one of the precedents is if you could demonstrate that the marriage was in some way some way illegitimate so so henry had every reason to suppose that he would be granted what was functionally a kind of 20 year annulment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of his marriage to catherine of aragon uh, he wasn't this kind of he wasn't this kind of religious or social radical that 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 people have sort of formed the idea that uh, that people have formed the idea that he was. Anyway, that's just something that I that, I, <laughs> that I, I've been looking for an opportunity to say 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I, <laughs> I do. Form. It's true. It's like I mean, people got divorced all the time. Well, royal people, yeah, got divorced all the time because usually the Pope would do what you wanted. Like the trouble is, was um, if the Queen of England slash someone from the House of Aragon <laughs> didn't want to be put aside, the Pope was not going to do it for you. And that's what, uh, yeah, Henry VIII kind of like came up against the fact that uh, the Spanish were really in ascendancy at the time. So. Yeah. Ab- mm. Like absolutely, like o- like honestly, uh, the whole matter of Henry's of Henry's. I think calling it an annulment is actually more accurate. But the whole, mm. the whole, the whole matter of the of the sundering of Henry VIII's first marriage was really a matter of of really really rotten timing mm. because the the Pope old old Clem there was 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 probably was probably gonna probably gonna give it to him probably. Mm. And it just so happened that Charles V, uh, who was the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, invade, invades Rome and takes the Pope prisoner. So, oopsie. He, so oops, oops. So we've we've just got the Pope now, and he's not feeling that generous because he is languishing in this imperial prison somewhere. And if Henry had managed to kind of get things moving, maybe a month, two months before. Then it probably would have been quite a seamless, frictionless, like certainly like an unusual event, but it wouldn't have been an unheard of event in uh in one of the medieval European courts. So so lots of this is kind of is a kind of mixture of uh, of historical process and bad timing and bits of bad luck, depending on which side of the side of the argument you kind of fall down on. But I think that's but I think that's sort of worth pointing out, particularly since the reason that the Pope was a bit like, no, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that, is that he had already given him a special dispensation to get married in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there was a le- <laughs> that's the legal problem. Yeah, right. Where it's like, well, you asked for this because since you know Catherine had buried his brother for two seconds, it was technically considered incestuous. Yeah. Um, and so he had to get a dispensation and you can't kind of undo like that. They, he probably would have if Catherine had been like, yeah, get me out of here. I'm good. Yeah. The, the Pope would have said, yeah, which is basically kind of how it goes um, when you ask for divorces. So, for example, um, if you want to go back to the the high medieval period uh, when Eleanor of Aquitaine wants a divorce from King Louis of France. At first, she's like, we're like, it's too consanguous basically it's like they were second cousins Mm. and the pope is like no and then louis is like no i'm serious we can't we can't do this anymore the pope is is like (laughs) this is just not gonna happen and the pope was like oh word word okay yeah fine and then you know eleanor proceeds to immediately marry henry the second who she was closer related to (laughs) so you know basically there there the point is there were loopholes that royalty could expect to have used all the time and the troubles that henry already used it and then also um noted chin haver charles v (laughs) like got in there so you know and and this is kind of like what the the trouble for Thomas More as a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? So you got to understand, like, Homeboy is is a philosopher in that way that dudes in the 16th century were, but he's also, first and foremost, a lawyer. And frankly, if the Pope had just been like, yeah, that's okay, he could have just, like, things might have just kept t- ticking over there. Um, if, if, like, More could have argued Henry back onto side, because, like, if More, I think, could have said, and here's all these reasons why this is beneficial to you, 
you know, like you're not going to set a bunch of people. Here are the ways that um, this is going to like enhance good governance. Then that would have been fine. But also Henry VIII was just a little man baby and didn't like being told no. I'm not saying that there weren't deeply held spiritual things because you actually absolutely like can't discount that, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are huge upsides for Henry VIII that are material with all of this. But it is kind of like you stand in peril of your soul, which is something that people believe, which also I think is a quote from that play about all of this. Hey, ho, that's fine. That's that's in there. Thanks, high school drama. Uh, you all is, is is that a line from a man from all man for, for all, a man seasons? all seasons? Yeah, like there's a there's a thing between him and Moore in a garden, and like they always make you do it in high school drama classes, and it always cuts off us. You must understand, Thomas, that I stand in peril of my soul. Yes, yes. and they they use this in uh, they use this in the in the Tudors actually. Ah, and uh, except that they do it in this like incredible kind of mcu sort of way uh because <laughs> like because because thomas moore is like encouraging henry to like uh this is when he's encouraging him to write against luther mm. which is what gets henry uh recognized as the defender of the faith meaning mm. the defender of the catholic faith mm-hmm. which is quite which is quite fun quite a fun little quite a fun little dramatic irony if you're keen on that sort of thing and uh and and Henry says to him, oh, well, you know, I can't write like you. Not after your book, Utopia. Hey! hey! <laughs> he says the line! <laughs> he says the line! Uh, yeah, so, so that's, like, so that's like really, like really important, like given the, given the context of what sort of later happens to him, mm-hmm. is that he is, is that under, under kind of normal circumstances, this would be a kind of interesting little, kind of almost a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. For a skilled lawyer and a high-ranking civil servant, like oh, puzzle this one out. Mm. I'm not this, mm-hmm. but because of the kind of the confluence of factors, it turned into what something that has been kind of remembered as a as a as a matter of matter of deeply held religious principle. And I don't really believe that that's that that's the case. I mean, rather, there was obviously deeply held religious principle on all sides. Mm-hmm. But Moore's tangling up in both the divorce and then what came after was not so, uh, uh, was was not uh, certainly not not to me a matter of a matter of religious conviction. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of a of a of a of a kind of administrative act which yeah. had sort of gone which had sort of gone very very seriously awry. Yeah. And I, because this is the thing, like, I, I think a really important thing to, to mention here, too, is that the thing about the Catholic Church, especially in the kind of high to late medieval period, you know, it, it's not true until about the 12th century onward. But yeah, OK, it's a religious institution, but it's actually a legal body. Mm. The, the important thing about the Catholic Church is that it is a massive legal organization that is basically doing law with people's souls. And that's what it exists in order to do. So it's got a hierarchy like a court system. Like, sure, you have pastoral care in there. So, you know, your parish priest is looking after your soul. Yes, yes. But it exists as a mechanism, which is why it can weigh in on royal marriages, right? Because it's the one that's saying, okay, well, if this, then this. And that's why canon law is so important. And there's absolute scads of it, right? And you can spend your whole life being, I don't know, 
St. Bernard of Clairvaux and, you know, just kind of like building this up in, into, into a piece of things. Right. And it's also understood that when you are a king at the time, you're going to have people who are incredibly well versed in these legal mechanisms on your time. So like to be educated is to be educated by the church, basically up until this point, kind of up until about the 16th century, because basically the church will be like, oh yeah, well, mm mm-hmm. We'll teach you about this. Come on in. Right. And so you'd still have to be rich in order to do that because you have to be able to kind of like spare your kid. They have to be able to go to lessons or whatever every day. Uh, But it's the main way that people get educated. Like that's what university is for. Um, Then when you go to university, you then branch off into one of two places. You either go home with like, you know, your book learning and then work at a court or you go into the church. Um, And that's kind of how Thomas More comes to power because Basically, before he is the chancellor, uh, Cardinal Wolsey was the chancellor, right? And mm. so, the, and this is a very good person indeed to have as your chancellor. It makes perfect sense to have a cardinal doing this because you've already got a high placed intermediary with the church. If there's something that you want, you've already got somebody, right, who's really connected with the higher echelons. Um, and then Thomas More takes over after that, right? Um, and basically more really sees himself as very much charged with kind of keeping this going. He is not a church member himself, but he understands that this is kind of how legal things work. And, you know, he does consider himself to be a Catholic and he just kind of thinks he's sort of like an Italian, right? He kind of thinks he's kind of like French. He thinks he's like <laughs> Spanish, right? And so he, and, and he's like, what's all this fucking German shit? Like we're not Germans. That's not that's not what's up. Like I'm, you know, like that that's that's not what's happening now, basically. Can you can you elaborate a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can. I can and I will. Uh, so I mean like really the the Luther part of the reformation cuz you know, shout out to my boy Jan who's as I say possibly the first person to ever post himself to death. Shout out my homie. Best <laughs> one to ever do it to ever like <laughs> take on the Catholic church, you know, the, the Czechs had already like gone and done this, but everybody ignores us. Cause you might have to learn how to say, you know, uh, and I get it. It's hard for everybody. Uh, but by the time this kind of like takes off uh, with Luther and everything, it does. So in the German speaking lands, and part of the reason it takes so uh, over in the German speaking lands is that they are really wealthy. Um, and the church is bleeding them because they, they want a new, they want the Vatican. Right. They're like, we've got to get rid of all this medieval stuff. I want a Roman style church. And so they're like, how are we going to get the money? I don't know. The Germans have money. Go tell them to give, tell them they can have an indulgence. Right. Something like that. The Germans are pissed off. They want more power. Uh, the church is really corrupt. The church is always really corrupt. Like, homie, it happens every hundred years or so. But it just so happens that the church is trying this on when everyone already has an example in the checks of, oh, it turns out you could just tell them to fuck off. Right. And so the Germans have kind of like started to break away. So you have, this isn't to say all of them, like Bavarians remain Catholic, you know, but uh, Prussians, things of this nature, mm. like the, these, these guys go Protestant. And it also kind of gets up into the lowlands. Um, and this, this is like all, these are a bunch of very rich, influential people who all live in the cities and spend all of their time trading wool and like mining, doing useful things like that. Um, uh, but it is kind of like localized in these places. You have a kind of real like up the middle kind of take up of this because Italians aren't going to fucking do that because Italians whole goddamn thing with the Renaissance is we are very important. I think everyone <laughs> should pay attention to Italians actually. And like, so they're not, so they're not going to like uh, 
go against the church. Um, the Habsburgs were in control of Spain and nominally the Holy Roman Empire, like obviously not all the German lads. They're kind of like, well, I don't know. If I say that this is true, then the Holy Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. And so they're not going to go with it. Uh, the French are like, oh, those Germans are doing, and the, the French are not going to go along with what the Germans are doing because the French are always in opposition to the Germans and that's how like they define themselves. So it, it is kind of like this, um, it is a fairly widespread thing within these territories and it's a lot of Europe and it's a lot of people, but it's not like, oh, this, this is in every single nook and cranny of Europe, Europe right? And so... The English have a kind of choice to make here. Are they going to define themselves as their links with, for example, the Hanseatic port cities, uh, which are all like the North Sea wool traders, which is a big way uh, that you can like kind of define yourself? Or are they going to say, oh, no, we are, you know, the descendants of the kind of like pure line of thinking about the church that is um, evidenced like through our say Norman connections and our Frenchness and like our obvious commitments back there. Um, and to go along with the Protestant line is kind of to go along with a bourgeois line because it's like, this is an urban thing, right? Yeah. Um, so who's reading and writing about this? It's merchants. Merchants are really, really into um, all of these things. So are you going to say, let people who are wealthy and educated and well-meaning control things, or are we staying with the kind of nobility thing? Interesting. Okay. That's yeah. Okay. So that's, 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 that's really good. That's really good context to have. Also, if you would like to hear more about Jan Hus, mm. yes. um, we did an episode <laughs> about him with, with yeah, a, little, little, a little while ago. So, uh, <laughs> so probably just, probably just stick that in the, uh, mm -hmm in the show notes and you can listen to mm. that if you would like to can you, would you? Like to. yeah if you would which you would like you to, would like to that you would like to what a guy yeah who wouldn't who wouldn't want it we wouldn't want to hear about Jan who's <laughs> a fascinating fascinating fellow uh elna can you tell us what we mean by humanism in this period because i suspect mm. it's very very different from what people think Mm, yeah humanism so humanism now yeah people think humanism now is like oh big time woo woo i don't believe in god stuff eh, wrongo right um humanism actually generally means that you were kind of interested in education more specifically outside the auspices of the church mm -hmm. um mm. and it is largely a movement towards uh the collectivized education of again, usually bourgeois <laughs> and above children, right? So whereas in the medieval period, as I say, you'd send your kid off to the church to get educated. Um, this, it starts to be like, well, hey, shouldn't everyone get educated? And shouldn't we all be looking into this at all times, right? Um, and so you will see, for example, especially in Italy, uh, cities will start putting into kind of like a, a fund, where everyone will then uh, pay a teacher and then you can send your sons off to this. Now, I say sons because this is localized to the men of society. Uh, Thomas More is actually an interesting outlier because he also educates his daughters, um, which is kind of like an optional extra that some fancy mm. people are into. But having said that, um, fancy people were always interested in educating their daughters as an optional extra at home. So it's not like that important. Um, much is made at this time about humanism and, oh, the Renaissance and, oh, rediscovering classical text, baby. They were, it was classical text the whole time. Mm -hmm. It was nothing but Aristotle and Plato and a lot of Cicero. They really like mm. Cicero. Now, with the fall of Constantinople, there are suddenly more uh, texts in circulation. 
um, mm. often through Greek. Um, and what you do end up seeing as a result of uh, humanism is also just not Latin. So you'll also get Greek in addition to Latin is the thing. So and that's a big deal. Um, so that kind of like opens up more texts. And uh, then you get certain things like an emphasis on um, linguistics. There is the word. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you, you also get an emphasis then on linguistics at the time. So um, really kind of piecing together arguments about what things mean. Now, medieval people were really into that as well. But the point is that it's mostly taking place outside of a specific church dominion, um, which the church kind of has mixed feelings about uh, because they, they, they do like kind of controlling who's kind of looking at what. Um, having said that, it's not like these people are all, and by the way, I'm an atheist. They they actually, what they want to do is take all this book learning and argue about God, which is what Thomas More does uh, quite famously. And indeed, he his works have all these hallmarks, like when he wants to argue against Martin Luther or when he more specifically wants to argue against Tinsdale, who's like the guy who's doing a lot of uh, work on Protestantism in England. Like a lot of his arguments are all expressly linguistic. Mm. Well, he'll be like, oh, you you translated agape as love. But, you know, there are five types of love in Greek and you can't. And it's not a You know, like it, it's like real nerd hours. Mm -hmm. uh, so like that is kind of like what you do when you're a humanist. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Hussein, I thought I think you wanted to say something before. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask about that, but I was also going to ask whether there was any kind of like contentions because the impression I got from my reading was that there was also, I don't know whether it's context, but I wondered whether like how the human, how like Thomas More's um, uh, kind of interactions with the humanist uh, like scholarship, how that sort of into like, how, was there sort of an interplay with kind of his own religious beliefs? The mm. um, And how did that kind of like, in, did that sort of influence him in any way? Uh, I think in particular, I'm thinking about like his writings uh, and in terms oh. of like how he viewed like, you know, public education and the sort of virtues of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So like one of the things that's quite interesting about Moore is that he was um, good friends with and in constant contact with uh, one of the most noted uh, humanists who's Erasmus. Mm. Uh, like a no noted boy. <laughs> Erasmus, <laughs> who's all, who was also a fucking poster, right? Um, and so this kind of connects him and, and also his interest in humanism more generally, as I say, kind of connects him more directly with Italy because that was the style at the time. Mm. Right. You know, like it, this isn't to say that Germans weren't doing it. It's just that Germans are kind of pulling it in another direction. The Italians um, and indeed Erasmus, like the way that they think about humanism and the way that they think about education is they're doing some return shit. Right. So mm. th they're making up this story about um, the beauty and grandeur of the classical era. Um, and this mm. is very palatable. Um, at the time for a few reasons. I mean, in the first place, we're still kind of working with uh, the medieval conception of what, uh, you know, knowledge is in general. And so for medieval people, there's this idea that um, when you are in the Garden of Eden with God before the fall of man, knowledge is perfect, mm -hmm. right? Because you're, you're in communion, direct communion with God. Um, but then after you gain sentience, and are kicked out of paradise, the process of education and, well, sorry, the process of knowledge is one of uh, constant degradation. So therefore, people in the ancient world actually know more than people in the medieval world because the further you get from God, the less you know. 
Now, granted, uh, like the ancient philosophers and people like that don't have the benefit of knowing about the one true God and Jesus in their opinion, but they still have access to these understandings of knowledge that are good. Mm-hmm. Italians then play on this really successfully within the Renaissance where they're like, uh, and also, uh, it was really good when Italy controlled everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got to like, we really got to return homie. Like, I don't know, but everyone liked Rome and there definitely wasn't a 40% population of slaves on the Italian peninsula. And actually everyone was really happy. Uh, yeah, but you know, it's very stylish at the time to be like, yes, yes. Classics. Yes. In this, in this new way of saying, and this is as important, Mm. this is like more important than the Bible. Whereas before it was kind of like, that was as Mm. important as the, as the Bible, but there's also this return aspect to it. So Mm. of course more is going to kind of come down on the side of let's stay with the catholic church because if he doesn't he's going to like embarrass himself in front of erasmus and he's mm. going to embarrass himself in front of all of the italians you know embarrass <laughs> yourself in front of the italian uh, mm. guys can we just, just let- take can we just take one second sorry my cat is just screaming at me and i know she just wants to be put under a blanket and she's not going to stop until i do it so okay. sorry devin <laughs> cabbage is just like she just walking around the house like ah ah so just like sorry, me, for real. <laughs> I swear to fucking God. No, <laughs> she's she's trying to get me to come play with her. Uh, she wants to be buried in tissue paper and have a ribbon waved in front of her, and it's just not going to happen. So, Oomst among us. Yeah, yeah, we're just gonna. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have this right now. Sweetheart. Sorry, I'm on I'm on Cabbage's side on this one. No, it's like so. It's, she's got like you know her pile of trash. That is her trash. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is still just sounding like Say me. Hi. No. <laughs> there she is. Say hi, Phoebe. Hello, Cabbage. She says, oh, I'm evil. Oh. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, but look she's at very, her. I mean, she's very cute, but it's like, so she'll, she like escalates her campaign of terror. So the first thing she'll do, balls, like she's got, she's, she'll first go on the counters, which she knows she's not supposed to. And then mm-hmm. she'll just start screaming. She can't differentiate between good and bad attention, right? She's just like, as long as Nora's looking at me, everything's fine. Anyway, sorry, that didn't work out. That's that's that, that, that's, that's fine. Like yeah. we're all on this is cabbage's world. We're all just living in it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> Devin. Sorry. It's okay. We can go. Fine. We can. Uh, we can go back in. Uh, actually, did you, were you like? Uh, what, did you need to finish something that you said? No, that was the point. That was oh, okay, the cool. yeah. So humanism is really about, and and Thomas More's interested in it. You know, you got to kind of pick a side. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. he very much wants to be on the side of uh, the sexy Italians, basically. <laughs> I, I love this idea that the, the, the more you know, the further you are away from God. What a, what a, what, what a brilliant, what a brilliant wheeze. For, mm. particularly for particularly for a church to come up with. Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's so like, good. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Like, if you know about stuff, that's... <laughs> That well, feels pretty bad. Pretty bad and ungodly. Well, they're like, it's, you should know, but it's like you're never going to know more about stuff than Plato. Because mm. sure. he's closer to God and that you're just like doing your best to, yeah, you know, it's, it's like real standing on the shoulders of giant stuff. It's like, okay, well, you can figure things out, but you can only do it because like those guys are smarter than you, right? So is, wait, hang on, is Plato closer to God or further away? Closer. Closer. Because he's closer to the Garden of Eden than you. Right. 
So even, even though, though even, even though, though he has no knowledge of God in the in the yeah. same conception as the oh interesting yeah so, so that's so that's what Dante's getting at yeah that's what Dante's getting at. and that's why um all his homies are hanging out at like the gates of purgatory they're not in hell right yeah, because because sure. they because they were good it's just like mm-hmm. you know they didn't have certain benefits right and there are big debates at this time like the Jesuits love to talk about this um. Because they really feel like when uh, Jesus descends into hell on the Saturday and he does the harrowing of hell, they're like, I don't know. I think he probably went and saved the virtuous pagans. Like, I don't think I don't even think Plato's hanging out at purgatory at all. I think they were probably like Jesus was like, hey, Plato, love your work. You know, so (laughs) um, so there, there are like debates about whether or not that's possible that kind of are going on at the time. But which is just kind of indicative of the kind of nerding Mm -hmm. we mean. You know, it's like, oh, well, oh, where is Plato? Where is he right now? Like, bro, you're not actually friends <laughs> with Plato. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's like Plato fan fiction. <laughs> it is like, yeah, that's 100% what, you know, mm. uh, Dante does. It's like, <laughs> number one, these guys are all hanging out. Number two, they think I'm as cool as them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the best poets. Like, okay, Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta Weird. defend Dante on this point. I love it's Dante. Like, it, I... it, like the, it, it, he wrote a good poem. He knew what he was doing. I mean, he absolutely did, but just the hubris, you know. Like I just, I would never be able to write myself in as. You know, I wouldn't be like, and then Jan Hus said, you're pretty cool. <laughs> that, I was just, that I was just so cool. And then, and then Virgil showed up and we all kissed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just couldn't do it. Hit. Publish. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, when it comes to all, comes to all Dante, you know, whatever, whatever keeps you on the poems and away from the children. Eh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Real talk, thir- real talk. Away from the 13-year-olds, just whatever just keeps you away from Why the don't you just keep jacking off about the idea of that girl you think is your girlfriend who you met once? Yeah. Shout the out Beatrice. The 13-year-old yeah, the 13-year-old Shout out. Shout out to Beatrice. Beatrice. She, you know, really escapes. Beatrice. You know, like, yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> Can I ask a little bit about um, Utopia? And just yeah. like sort of placing that within the context of like both um, Thomas More as a poster, but also as a kind of like reflection of like what's kind of stems to be like a political philosophy after like or whether there there is like a p- political philosophy can but can sort of be discerned from it. So like for people who maybe haven't read Utopia or haven't sort of. Uh, kind of like haven't like revisited for a while could you like what was utopia can you sort of place it within the context of which it was published i think in 1516 yeah um yeah and like what does it because i think from my recollections of it it was sort of this hybrid of like um conversations that thomas moore was sort of having with both other people but also characters that he invented he invented a character of himself um and it was also like on you know even though it's so supposed to be like what is viewed as kind of like the utopic and kind of perfect society. It is one where I don't know, like there's a lot of insights into like what Thomas More uh, views as kind of like necessary uh, in order to sort of like sustain peace and the kind of things that have to be sacrificed in order to do that. Mm, yeah. So th- it's an interesting one because as a work, it's very specifically kind of supposed to be for people who counsel kings to mm. other people. Like, so it's for and by like people within the court sphere. Right. So um, he kind of writes it as a like um, a set of kind of dialogues between himself and other people who look in 
on various courts. So like, for example, uh, quite famously, uh, like uh, one of the counselors to Charles V, Hieronymus van uh, Busleyden. <laughs> Just got to get that one right. Not Busleyden, Busleyden. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I always have to just sit there and think about it. Uh, anyway, so... Basically, they kind of like talk about how, oh, well, what, what, what's the problems with the kings these days? And it's like, oh, they start wars. And what's the problem mm. with war? Oh, the problem <laughs> with war is that like you lose money. Uh, and so it's like, oh, <laughs> is that the problem? Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Um, and so, you know, like basically saying that like, uh, and, and then also kind of criticizing other things like, oh, um, you know, the punishing thieves through execution uh which is bad you know um and like he kind of basically says like and he does do a little bit of also criticizing enclosure which is cool like yes Mm -hmm. like you know marxism activated kind of deal uh which is good so he, he one of the things that he kind of does is he does make these sort of links between uh poverty and crime you know like crime as a as a result of poverty and a result of actions that people in power do. Um, and so basically saying that what your job is as a counselor is to sort of presage this, kind of bring this about. Um, and this is very much the style of the time, you know, like the, the other big kind of political work at this time is of course, famously uh, the prince that is kind of circulating, which is like, I don't know, mm. man, fuck it. Go for it. <laughs> like, just I'll see the wall. Am I right? Uh, but uh, what? these guys are kind of doing is coming from this humanist principle, right? Which is kind of like, you know, they're, they're again looking at like a lot of platonic things, a lot of Aristotelian things. Um, so like the idea is that if Kings could be philosophers, then they would understand things better, but because Kings don't necessarily do it, you have to do it for them. Mm. So it is, it's also like a really big kind of defense of humanism and the idea that, you know, like, okay, so how now libs will often be like, well, what you need is spirited debate. And then like a good debate will solve everything because if you just debate hard enough, then suddenly people will see the error of their ways. Mm. Thomas More's Utopia is basically saying that, well, oh, if everyone just did philosophy, (laughs) (laughs) they would see the error of their ways. And then like all kings would become good. Uh, And so it's like the the whole philosopher prince Mm. thing comes Mm. out of this right so that's kind of like the the first book that's basically like this is how you counsel them and this is how you do Mm. like good uh counsel the second one um talks about specifically utopia and how it functions and it's like oh look it's a place in the new world Mm. Ah. because part of it is he's like is he's taking the piss right that when he when he when he make when people make the mistake of thinking that that this is kind of a really sort of progressive and socially radical document he is saying god imagine if we did something as mad as recognizing the material effects on people's lives and material and like material reasons for crime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ma- imagine if we did something as stupid, stupid as, as that, that. <laughs> wouldn't that be stupid yeah. <laughs> so i think that there are there are people who like to see it as not necessarily a kind of proto-marxist document but a kind certainly a kind of a, a sort of important founding principle for I suppose, sort of Christian socialism. And I think that's not right. Yeah. And I mean, so for example, like one of the big things about um, in the second book um, on the discourse on utopia, when they say like, oh, one of the big features of utopian life is every household has two slaves. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's 
to like he's kind of doing two things here, which is like saying, oh, yeah, haha. Like and so what that would require if for everyone to have a good life is like, well, who's doing all the fucking work around here? Right. So it's kind of like bringing that up. But on the other hand, it's like, hmm. Oh, on the other hand, you know, like, well, who who is people, right? Um, so basically, and, and then there are like little things like, oh, when you are uh, in trouble um, in Utopia and you become a criminal, you ha- wear golden chains. Right? Mm. So it's like, um, so basically, like, there's so much wealth that this is kind of like what pins people in place, right? Um, so and because w- the wealth doesn't matter to them. Because wealth only exists for getting commodities from other places. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and even so, but even within this, they also understand that like enslavement is bad, right? So because like uh, you will be unenslaved if you are a particularly good slaved person, right? Mm. How Roman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, there there are all these kind of things there where it's, you, you're right, Phoebe, like it's part, um, I mean, the, the thing is it functions basically as a satire as well because that's what utopia um, as a meaning is. Uh, so it's like, a, it, it very much means like an imagined place or like an impossible place. Yeah, it's, it's, right? no, it's nowhere, literally. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, like a, it's it's a place that doesn't exist this will never happen right Mm -hmm. so and and basically what he's saying is here's the things that it would take in order to make that work and that's never going to happen Mm right yeah so he's a trotskyite yeah basically like it's it's kind of like (laughs) if we're gonna if if we're gonna place some kind of anachronistic political philosophy on him why Mm. not that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. And I, I mean, the, which is why kind of like book one is book one and it's more important within this, I would argue, because what he's saying is like, so the best thing that you can do is counsel, right? Because like all of these conditions are never going to be met. And so the best thing that you can do is counsel kings to try to nudge them in the right direction to get to somewhere approaching this. Okay. So yeah, so so, so incredibly platonic and Socratic and yeah. Aristotelian yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, so just gr- Greek as anything. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Did he did he mean it to be a specific rebuttal to I don't know, say Machiavelli, or was that or was that a was it more just a sort of a very different uh, and kind of divergent philosophical strand? I mean, that is kind of like a great question. Um, <laughs> I think that that's kind of in there because he's a poster. Right. Mm. And so Machiavelli he's just, also a poster. And, yeah, Machiavelli, absolutely a poster. Um, you know, and I but I think that also one of the things that he's doing here is just proving that he's a fancy little lad. Mm-hmm. Um, so like basically some people say that like, you know, he wrote it to criticize Catholicism more generally, mm. right? And say, like, well, here's the things that we actually need to do to improve the Catholic Church, which he believes in, but you know, says like whatever, right? Um, they, and, and this is also because like on the island of utopia, for example, like divorce is possible. Um, euthanasia exists. Priests are married. Mm-hmm. Right. Which are all kind of like anti-Catholic uh, beliefs. Um, but you know, it also, this also might just be ironic. Right. Um, so yeah, imagine, like, like, imagine if, yeah. 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 Um, other people say that like, basically, um, it, is supposed to be like a debate about the concept of true nobility and it's this is like a humanist thing Mm -hmm. so um and basically within this um your boy uh raphael 
who he speaks to is supposed to kind of like he's, he embodies platonic views where he um, argues that philosophers are philosophers and they shouldn't get involved in politics, but then more um, uh, is a representing as Ciceronian views, mm-hmm. which is basically like, no, like the, the purpose of philosophy is to do politics. Right. So, you know, so it's just like wanking off about that. Um, right. Uh, which I think is not a bad interpretation of things. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, there there are different ways of of looking at it so this is either like um all just for wanking off and making you feel good about yourself as a humanist or it could also be like oh here i think we should improve society somewhat kind of deal but i mean very much one way or another i have to say that he's doing this in order to place himself um in the canon of mm. humanist thinkers at the time yeah. certainly certainly and and like and I, re- I really appreciate the connection with Cicero as well. Another another poster who, in fact, we've also oh, done huge an episode, poster. We've also done an episode about with uh, with uh, Pat Wyman. So that was so that's <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. that definitely worth a little a little listen to. Uh, is that because because Thomas More himself is not from is not from nobility. He's not from one of the mm-hmm. one of the old families of England, and Cicero is also not from one of the old families mm-hmm. of Rome. Mm-hmm. So they're very so they have a personal investment in a framing of nobility outside of outside of just kind of lineage and birthright it, that's that's something which sort of makes sense mm-hmm. for them to be wanting to do as kind of a, as a philosophical project just sort of sort of sort of, mo- sort of moving away from his posting content and more into his kind of posting behavior and characteristics because we've been sort of trying to kind of come up with like a kind of taxonomy of like what makes a poster and it's like it's, it's quite it's quite varied but the but the one that comes that comes up time and time again is you got your beefs and you got your trolling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a lot of people like to project things onto Thomas More and onto his belief systems and onto his uh, on, onto his writing, onto his philosophy, onto his way of thinking. There are people who who like to kind of cut about saying that he that he takes the role of chancellor you know very much against his will um which is just an, an absolute nonsense he was a career civil servant and this would have been just such a such an incredible great honor to be asked to be to be asked to be the high chancellor there's oh, not God, yeah. a, there's just the, like the idea that he was like no it would not be right it's just <laughs> it, it, it's just it, that's that's just that's just daft yeah um, but a lot of what he, a lot of what he writes, and a lot of how he behaves, like does have a kind of sort of troll-like sort of, sort of element to it, even if you're sort of operating on operating on wishful thinking. So, a lot, so so some so some readings uh, going down the kind of wishful thinking route say that he say that he uh, didn't want to be high chancellor at all. Uh, still, more of them say and this is a this is a bit of a ricardian thing mm. this is a this is a something that the uh, that the richard the third crowd who are even more interesting than the thomas more crowd i think Ooh. i think i think anyone who is sort of part of a kind of fandom of of a tudor figure i think is some is is definitely somebody who's sort of worth just really sitting down and being like tell me what you think about some stuff mm-hmm. cuz i just really i just really really want to know how have you come to this i always how want to you know arri- <laughs> how have you arrived at this how have you arrived at the <laughs> fandom of the last plantagenet king how how tell me how and this is a really really fun one i think because 
the account, or certainly one of the accounts, that squarely puts the murders of the princes of the tower at Richard III's door comes from Thomas More's biography mm. of Richard III. Mm. And Ricardians say, oh, well, it's because he will have been uh, wanting to legitimize the Tudor line. And so in order to do, in order to do that, you have to delegitimize the, uh, the Plantagenet line and delegitimize the House of York. That doesn't, that, sorry, that's just not, that's not, not going to fly with me. Maybe if he had written it during the reign of Henry VII, but he, by the time we've got Henry VIII, that, that's, that's done and dusted. That's a fait accompli. You don't need to legitimize mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. Tudors. They're there. You're not going to be doing anything else. You're not going to be doing anything about them. Like the, the challenges, the challenges sort of based on lineage to Henry VIII were kind of snuffed out so mm-hmm. easily and quickly that, uh, that it could, even to the extent that some of the some of the challenges were left alive, that's how that's how little threat they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the Tudor line at this at this point. And something that is this kind of Ricardian theory is that in the opening of Thomas More's account of uh, account of the life, uh, certainly the later life of Richard III, is that there is this uh, enormous factual error in the opening in sort of the opening paragraphs. And that you are meant to understand this as a signal or a signpost that the rest of it is also not to be taken literally and to be taken with a pinch of salt. That to me is just such an amazing example of just, you really want that to be true. I can see why you want that to be true, (laughs) but that I I just like I, I mean, or or sometimes people just get shit wrong. Or he's writing fifty years later. There are some shaky sources. He's like he's re- he's reading a, he's reading a fucking handwritten document, you know, by candlelight in a library. Like it's come on, come on, guys. It's like it's not that it's it's probably it, like someone someone writes something down wrong and it gets reproduced. That happens now yeah. in the age of of digital reproduction and 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 and, and mass information. Things get things get misquoted things get misunderstood mm. this is that's 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 just that's just sort of pretty normal but i do like the idea that the whole of the richard the third biography is is supposed to be a kind of trolling document um <laughs> and i also like the idea that mm. that utopia is supposed to be just a just a one long one long bait yeah post- I mean, I, I think that that like a hundred percent. It's quite funny to be like, uh, by the way, uh, fuck Richard the Third. Me and all my homies hate Richard the Third. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> be like, okay, like, I think cool, like, go off, like, king. Like, 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 come on, like, I'm like, I'm very far from being a Ricardian, <laughs> but by the same token, like, I think you you killed him. It's fine. You don't need to like, you don't need to, like, gather around being like, yeah, I also I hated him. Yeah, I, I hate that. I, I mean, never, like, I, never I do. A good king. You know, like I would say that I will give the Ricardians one thing, which is I do think that it's probably very slightly to be like, am I right? Am I right? See <laughs> yeah. that, Henry? I fucking hate him. But I think it's like more like that. It's it, you yeah. know what it's like? It's like easy applause at a comedy show when yeah. people will come in and they'll be like, hey, hello, Birmingham. Yeah, great town. <laughs> Not like that London, right? You know, it's like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, 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 exactly. It's, it's, it's clapter. Yeah. So even if it's not specifically deliberate trolling, it's definitely it's definitely a kind of it's definitely a performance. Yeah, performance and I mean, piece. and it's easy. Boy. It's easy fucking applause because you know everyone is like, yeah, because he definitely offed those kids. 
yeah, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, like it's yeah, just like because because like because it's like even if even if he didn't, that's not, that's not that much better. If he yeah. did not off those kids, then then that's actually that's not really a, a legitimate defense. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I've got, I've got like a Thomas More answer to this too. I've got like a lawyer answer. Amazing. Which Hit, is which is that like well, it doesn't really matter if like he was like, hey, go kill my nephews, you know, because yeah. uh, no one thinks that he went and killed them. But like uh, you know, uh, go he, even if he didn't say, hey, go kill my nephews, would you? When you are in charge of your nephews. <laughs> <laughs> if they suddenly go missing that is your fault yeah, you, and like you, and that is just God. it like that's you you are in charge of them like if uh my sister is like or my brother says hey go take your niece and nephew out for the day like they're gonna stay at your house if they show back up and i have mislaid my niece and nephew <laughs> yeah. they're, they're Mar- gonna be Margaret like Margaret beaufort has su- has somehow got your nieces and nephew be like uh yeah no that's that's my fault that's on me yeah, like that's on you, right? So like, it doesn't matter whether it's it's his fault because he was in charge of them. To be clear, I don't think that Margaret Beaufort was responsible for it. That's just a little. That's just a little dig at the. Uh, oh yeah. At, Ooh. at the uh, <laughs> anti both Margaret Beaufort. Uh, I got this book for you. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. want to read it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what you mean, and I'm not going to read it. It's, it'll just make it'll just make I get me mad. All, people just send me books. You know, like this is this is the weird thing about my life. I've got I have like a book a week just shows up at my house, and you know, Sounds what am I what am I to do with that? What am I to make of it? Right? Like, just just mm. just you should just behave like cabbage, and just whenever you see one, just like scream. Yeah, just just, scream ah, at the book. Ah, <laughs> ah, ah. Uh, so, so that's a kind of a sort of you know kind of whistle stop tour of uh, Thomas More and trolling. Mm. But mm. if we talk a little bit, and then I think we're going to probably have to. Uh, so there's one more question from me, one more mm. question from Hussein, and I think we're going to have to wrap up. Yeah, because mm. there's like a lot that we actually haven't covered. But yeah, go, go for it. Yeah, this, this, this is the thing. Like he's 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 a he's a he's a he's a big poster. Yeah, and mm. and when you have someone who literally writes down every single every single thought that crosses his mind and is writing it with the with the purpose of it being of it being read and dis- and distributed and we and we have like we have we have most of it mm. Mm. it's we we've got we've got a really really rich source uh, <laughs> source library for for Thomas More and it's it's really worth it's really worth having a ha- yep. like ha- like having a look at it all because you know even just even just from a kind of sociocultural perspective if you're not interested in the period it's still it's still some it's still something to look at mm. So one of my one of my favorite uh, sort of post hoc defenses of of Thomas More that I've ever that I've ever read uh, was by an academic who specializes in Thomas More, uh, but also um, but also a kind of number of number of others. So because he, he sort of specializes in kind of the, in the development of the, the, the civil service, I'm not going to name him because I'm about to like completely trash what he has to say for himself. <laughs> So what he has to say for himself, and I love this, I genuinely love this. One of Thomas More's big beefs, as um we've sort of covered sort of briefly, was with Tyndale and with the and was with the idea of was with the idea of the of the English gospel. He mm. he was big, big into if you can't if you can't read Latin, if you're not a priest, you have no business. I get fucked. You yeah. You have no mm. business with the gospel. Stay away from it. You can only do you can only do damage 
both to uh, both to the body politic and to and to your own spiritual future and to the final destination of your soul. Uh, and I do think that his that his kind of vision for a more kind of equitable and just society in utopia is 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 so undermined by his hostility to 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 the translations of the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. And so as a result, he's he's pr- he's pretty big on the on the torture and murder of of heretics he lo- he loves that he loves <laughs> he this loves shit. that shit yeah he loves <laughs> this shit and this is one of the things that he saw his job as high chancellor as being as being something in the service of because he used his he used his position to uh to give him to sort of basically award himself uh extra judicial powers mm-hmm. to search search the homes and have them and have them tried and so on and so forth and Mr. Big Defender of Thomas More, in the same paragraph as he is saying that people like to project their own their own either contemporary views or their own or their own political views or their own philosophical views or even their own religious views onto More, and very little of it has anything to do with who More was, which again makes him a poster because yeah. <laughs> he exists not as a person exactly, but as uh, as a kind of series of text objects that people invest with their own meaning and decide what they mean, decide what they have to say, and so and so this 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 academic very much recognizes that, and then like I said in the same paragraph says yeah, but um, <clears throat> burning heretics he 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 didn't he didn't do that he didn't do any any of that stuff the church did that and he was a civil servant he had br- no br- he had no role come on he had no role in that and it's like okay, are you being serious right now I'm being totally serious I will Eleanor off mic I will find you this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find this guy and you can read some read some more of his um his, his thoughts. Fundamental his misunderstanding about how the burning of heretics works. And I just like love the idea that like every time a kind of heretic was kind of burnt, sort of burnt to death horribly in public, that uh Thomas More was sort of saying, Okay, you know what, like technically technically this has nothing to do with me. No, admittedly, uh I uh I I I named them and I had their house searched and I sent round some you know tufts to 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 get them to to recant and I confiscated uh, I confiscated their books and I conducted a show trial all of which was in was within my power as a civil servant but when it comes to the actual the actual kind of oh well, what do we do with these with people such as these? We 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 burn them. That comes from the church. That's not me. That's uh, that's nothing. That's nothing to do with me. And again, this is this is real. This is like this is a Twitch streamer whose following has gone to their head behavior. This is oh look at this uh, look at this person who. Who, uh, who 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 criticised me in the comments? Look, you can see their full name there. But obviously, guys, don't go don't and do don't anything. Find them. Don't like go and harass them. Don't don't show up at their house, which is very easily findable because they've got. Yeah, don't, an I name. wouldn't. Don't do any. Mm. Like, don't do that. It's all love, people. It's all love. And so that's Moore's mm. <laughs> whole thing about about heretics. But you're not going to persuade me of that. Um, yeah. he was uh, he was a he was a fairly vociferous hunter downer torturer and oh yeah murderer yeah <laughs> and it's like, I feel like th- this whole arguing that like he didn't do it like this is such a fucking fine 
point. That's like yeah. saying that. Um, it's like saying Richard III didn't literally kill yeah, those kids. Exactly, right? And it's, and it's like, so this this is like one of these like hair splitting things that people will do. So for example, it's like one of the reasons we know that he tortures people, like th there are dubious sources on this, right? Which is like, it's Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? Um, which is written in the 16th century to talk about how bad all Catholics are indeed. And in it, Fox is like, and he personally was like whipping people in his garden in Chelsea. And it's like, okay, like, no, dude, like that didn't happen, right? Like, obviously that's made up. But I don't really care if you personally torture someone, if you're like, <laughs> go torture that person, right? To me, that is the same thing, right? I don't see, I don't see a difference between being the instrument of the law that does the physical torturing and being the person who orders that. I think that you are both equally culpable uh, and I don't particularly give a fuck, right? Like so. Totally so for example, distinction. Like I, that'd be like saying, "Oh, Henry VIII didn't kill fucking did, didn't isn't isn't responsible for the death of his wives because he didn't you know swing the fucking sword, right? Like yeah, you are homie because you told someone to go kill her, right? <laughs> like that's that's just stupid. That's a, that's not that doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, he is responsible for people being burnt at the stake. And and I'm just, it's responsibility, right? You know, he didn't personally do that. And technically the Star Chamber didn't really have the right to, like, shut the fuck up. Because he was telling everyone, like, who to go find and and burn. So he's 100% responsible of it. And, it, yeah, it's it's like libs of TikTok, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, so it's just like mm -hmm. you know, if you keep saying where these where these Protestants are and where you can find them and their English editions of the New Testament, and wouldn't that be a shame if someone went and found them and burnt them at the sea? That then that you're responsible, and that's it. That's it. You know, mm. exactly. I think just before we close up, I had one last question, which is very much like a speed through of like the, the, the sort of like the death of Thomas More, like the execution mm. and the trial, and I suppose like the question. Uh, as to like, did he die a poster's death? And I wondered whether, you know, whether like, <laughs> what what was what's your sort of like judgment on that? Because I have my feeling is that maybe in the sense that like he doesn't necessarily die by sort of doing a monologue or a post of any kind, but in fact the sort of absence of that I think still sort of echoes a poster's impulse. But I wondered what your thoughts were on like, you know, could you like tell us just like very briefly about what that trial like? why he was sort of put on trial, the sort of relationship between like, also sort of the confrontation with Thomas Cromwell, you know, Tom versus Tom. Yeah. Um, and just yeah. like, yeah. And just like how that sort of sets in motion, like, you know, the sort of the, the rest of like Henry VIII's reign and just this sort of period of time where we get to Thomas More sort of eventually being made into a martyr. Yeah. I mean, there's some Tom on Tom violence. Um, so I mean, basically, so in the first place, you know, Moore won't, won't say the, the act of supremacy thing. Um, he also wouldn't go to Anne Boleyn's coronation, mm. uh, which is like real dicey. He's, 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 uh, it's a line that he's taking here, right? Where it's like, it's not treason per se, but like, it's poor. You mean something by it, you know? You know, just like not go to the coronation that you're invited to because like you were washing your hair, right? So like, whatever. Um, and so basically then he gets accused of having been taking bribes, which I think is probably spurious, you know, like, I think, I think that my man, homie was in it for the love of the game. Like, I don't really think that you had to pay him to do any of this. Right. Um, so then basically like, uh, 
then Thomas Cromwell, the better Thomas. I think we can mm. all agree. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, Thomas. Like, the good Thomas. <laughs> this is I, a pro, you know, I, I, I literally just like slagging off people who are in the fandom of historical figures. This is a pro Thomas Cromwell. Yeah, absolutely. Pod. Yeah. Like, so we, if you want any anti Cromwell sentiment, I suggest you go elsewhere. Yeah. You know what? There are Cromwells that I can suggest that you dislike, but not Thomas. Okay. Um, so. Thomas Cromwell then says that homeboy was hanging out with this chick, Elizabeth Barton, who was a nun who was like, oh, uh, like, um, basically Henry VIII has ruined his soul by divorcing Catherine. Um, and, uh, and, uh, that more was like, hell yeah, girl, <laughs> that's, that's real shit or whatever. Right. Um, and that was considered treason. And so uh, basically that means that if he had anything to do with Barton, then he would have be in a kind of treasonous position. And we know that Moore definitely had met with her, but he probably didn't like big her up too much because he was probably like, hell yeah, girl, this is real shit, but you got to kind of probably keep it down because you're going to get in trouble, right? Like that's kind of like what we think. So, but anyway, he gets called before the Privy Council to say, hey, were you hanging out with this crazy nun? Um, and like then basically because he's pulled, pulled before the council, he has to uh, swear his allegiance uh, to the act of succession, mm. uh, which basically says that um, Anne Boleyn is the queen now. And so her offsprings are going to be the legitimate heirs. It's not going to be the Princess Mary, right? Mm. Uh, but he's like, no, Pope for life. Um, you know, <laughs> things of this nature. Um, so he's like, no, I'm not going to take the, I, I will not take this oath. Um, and like that I'm not going along with this whole thing. Um, and then he, so he's like, he wouldn't take the oath. He wouldn't, um, he also then refused to uphold the annulment to Catherine. Um, and yeah, so that kind of doesn't go well for him at all. So that then he's indicted. Um, and he gets taken to the tower. Um, so he kind of like then writes a dialogue about it. So he posts, <laughs> immediately starts posting. He's like, well, as well, I'm in the tower. I've got time to post. Um, and he writes this thing, the dialogue of comfort against tri tribulation, where he's all like, uh, you know, when your haters, <laughs> when your haters imprison you uh, in the tower, that's just time to get on your grind 100-100, basically. Uh, it's like uh, the edited version. Um, so basically he gets in trouble for high treason. Um, and like, it, did he actually do treason? He meant it in his heart. I would mm. say, mm. <laughs> I would argue that like he, he was thinking about it, right? Like he was, and he was trying to, he was doing, trying to do this lawyer shit and be like, you can't get me on it. I didn't say that, but it's like, mm. ah, uh, you know, so like a bit of a kangaroo trial. Uh, and he gets in trouble for it. Um, and like, uh, there, there's a possibly apocryphal story um, at his um, uh, execution um, where like uh, it says that he said, I pray to you, Master Lieutenant, see me safe up for my coming down and let me a shift for myself because he's like so brave that mm. he can like, he's just ready to like die. Um, and then he says that on the scaffold, he said that uh, he died to the king's good servant and God's first. Right. So he's like still posting, still, still posting. posting. <laughs> so like, this, is, this is the thing, because like because he was like mm. he was right. He was writing all these letters and he was very, very careful not to from from the tower. He's very careful not to actually include any sort of treasonous observations in his letters. But they did get pissed off with him and they confiscated all of his writing materials. 
but he he still managed to he managed to find a little bit of like a little bit of wi-fi back in the corner a little bit of posters magic and he wrote one last letter i think to one of his daughters using like a burnt out like stub of candle or Can't something stop, stop. <laughs> just you couldn't stop and post like right until like right until the end and he did he uh he was uh he was sentenced to the to, to the death for treason which is an extremely ah, mm. way to die which was then commuted by henry and was changed to beheading he did mm. have his head kind of displayed on london bridge so that's not so that's not great but yeah well, um, i mean you know. that was the style of the time if you, was, yeah, if, it was simply like I mean, bit. anyone that the king executed, Passion. your head was going on the tower. Like, mm. I mean, just... like you look at you look at the jeans you wore as a teenager, you're gonna you're gonna feel pretty stupid and embarrassed. So it's a similar yeah. similar thing, you know, in the, in the <laughs> century, you know, they, you, you display the head is what you do. Although I although I think there's a isn't there a story about one of one of the kids being like, "Can I have the head back?" And they yeah. just went off with it and just just kept it. Yeah, Margaret. Uh, creeps. like uh, fucking creeps. <laughs> yeah, like basically, they this says that Margaret like went back for the head, um, and that they've got it down in Canterbury, uh, mm. possibly, um, where her vault is. But it's like it is some creep shit. It's like, what are you doing with your dad? So, like, I mean, at least bury it or some shit. I don't know, man. Yeah, but, like it's a relic. It's a relic on now, a table. homie. It's a relic now because he's such a saint. Like, I just. <laughs> you know i wouldn't pray to this guy that's all i'm saying mm. fair play i think that's <laughs> as good a place as any yeah interesting <laughs> posters yeah well you know posters I, I i i think i i'm sort of gonna lay it down to like you got a poster's death and all of which is to say eleanor thank you so much for coming on once again we really really appreciate it um you have a lot of stuff to plug do you want to plug do you want to plug all your things hell yeah i'll plug all my things uh, first of all great news everybody um because my book is out in paperback and therefore more affordable. Uh, it's out in the States right now, The Once in Future Sex. Uh, and it is about how uh, society doesn't like women very much, does it? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the medieval reasons for that are totally different from the modern reasons. So check that mm. out. Um, it is available now on paperback in the States. It will be out in March here in the UK. But if you could pre-order that and do me a solid, that'd be great. Um, I will take it personally if you don't. Um, mm. Otherwise, you can check out uh, my other podcasts. Uh, there's We're not so different which is my more political history one and if you just want like straight uh, eleanor is very serious and does medieval history you can check me out on uh gone medieval otherwise the blog is a going hyphen medieval.com i'd be right in there uh, and i'm on the mm. socials most places as uh going medieval so you know i'm yelling things of this nature check that Post all it. out pre-order pre-order um eleanor's book all the links will be in the show notes uh thank you very much for listening to this episode we have lots of good bonus content on our patreon five bucks a month and it helps us to run the show helps us do it without ads and to stay editorially independent uh both things that we really appreciate uh so do consider doing uh yeah do consider doing that um yeah by the time this launches we will also have a discord so that's another thing that you could do Ooh. uh you could go on the patreon as a way, you can sign up to Patreon as a way of getting onto the Discord and going to be part of that community. I think it'll be really fun to do that. Um, I have no other plugs other than that. No, I actually do have one plug, right? But I will, I will plug it, but on the basis that you're not allowed to be weird if you actually like do it, right? Okay, so what happened here is that Hussein has started helping out at his um, father-in-law's shop. And he read out the name and location of it and encouraged you to come and visit it. It was very sweet of him, but I've gone ahead and removed that 
because you can't be trusted with that information. And we're back in three, two. Um, yeah, that's my that's my plug for this show. Uh, Phoebe, I've, do you have any like normal plugs? I've got I've got to say, mate, I'm gonna tell Devin to take that out. <laughs> that is so uh, yeah. yeah Dev, you gotta point. you gotta take it out, Dev. <laughs> Dev all right, yeah, Dev, okay. Dev, that's coming. That's coming right out. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna just they're redo gonna that. They're gonna be weird, Hussein. Hussein, they're gonna be weird. They're, just, they're not gonna I be just, normal. I spend. I just spend, okay. All right, fine. I'll, I'll I'll talk about that. Like Devin, cut that out. I'm just gonna start that again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I have no plugs. Uh, unfortunately, I have nothing going on in my life. Uh, Phoebe, do you want to do you want to plug your stuff? Uh yeah, you can subscribe to my <laughs> subscribe to my Substack and uh, listen to me and Milo Seinfeld podcast podcast, which is Masters of Our Domain, and there will be the usual links for for donations to various various organisations helping uh, helping people mm-hmm. in in Gaza and uh, and Palestine more broadly and if you can get to mm-hmm. a demo write to your mp yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and i think yeah and there are like votes and stuff coming up as well so like you know writing to your mp even though it which will seem, have happened by the time this comes out uh there may be some more i mean I'm, from the pipeline there may be some more coming up uh or like more it's, related it's still, things it's still, so. it's still worth maintaining maintaining mm-hmm. pre- maintaining pressure on your mp and because there is going to be an ele- there is going to be an election this yep. year, and apparently, winning elections is now seen to be a kind of legitimate be all and end all of a political project. So, and it's the, pretty much the only thing we can hold over their heads, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is if you don't do this, then we won't vote for you. Yep. And that is, and that's sort, and that's just that's just that's just the way it is. Yep. Yeah. Use, use your use your limited individual political power. It's a good thing to do. Cool. And um, until next time, we'll catch you later. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.